1: Glad to have Joe Tamburino with us for some legal talk. Hey, Joe, thanks for coming in.
2: Thanks for having me.
1: Joe's a criminal defense attorney, owner of Kaplan and Tamburino, right in downtown Minneapolis, and uh, a great legal analyst for us and others. Joe, I, I, I wanted to ask you about the big story from yesterday: the vacation of of Marvin Haynes' guilty murder conviction. Uh, a vacation of of a. Of a conviction. I mean, the legal system doesn't generally give you a straight up exoneration, a straight up, you didn't do it. But this felt pretty close to that to me, didn't it?
2: It is. Well, what it is, is there's an exoneration statute. And so if the district court and there basically was an agreement on both sides feels that the person should not have been convicted, something happened, something unfair, perhaps unconstitutional, then under the law, you can exonerate and you can even get damages from it. I believe the statute calls for fifty thousand dollars a year uh, and then you could also get other compensatory damages.
1: I had uh, discussed yesterday the question of whether the county attorney at the time, Amy Klobuchar, who is now a senator, should take some responsibility for the fact that now two different uh, teenagers, black teenagers, have been released from their sentences, from life sentences, uh, because, you know, a later examination said either, you know, this uh, kid shouldn't have been charged so heavily or punished so severely or in this case, Marvin Haynes, they're saying, look, botched lineup, questionable eyewitness, virtually no other evidence like this shouldn't have even been a prosecution. Well, what does the chief executive of that officer like how much responsibility do they have in these kind of cases? And do you now say, like, maybe we need to look at some other cases from that era and say, were, were those done correctly?
2: Well, the other case you're talking about, I would imagine, is the Burrell case? Yes. Okay. Those are totally two different cases. In the Burrell case, there were two trials. There were no allegations that there was a bad photo lineup, in-person lineup. In the Haynes case, totally different. In that case, you literally had the investigator, the main investigator, Mr. Keefe, testify at the hearing that he was unsure about this. He's been unsure about it for years. And, in fact, we find out that there was something wrong with the photo lineup. They didn't use the right photos, as well as the in-person lineup. So I wasn't surprised that that... No, you,
1: when we talked about it ahead of time, you right. had sort of signaled that you wouldn't be surprised if this went this way.
2: That's correct. Because so when- to you
1: it's totally different. It doesn't say, like, there's a pattern that we should be concerned about.
2: That's correct. I mean, ultimately, it is the boss's, uh, you know, responsibility. The buck stops with him or her. However, I don't see a pattern from this time because the cases are so distinguishable. Makes sense.
1: Yeah. I you know, you take the wins. I think you have to take the L's also right. if you're if you're the head of the office. Not saying that, oh, this means Amy Klobuchar was a bad like no, that's not what I'm saying or that she's a bad set. Absolutely right. not what I'm saying. But like your office, like this guy was locked up for 18 years under certainly what it looks like, at a minimum, highly questionable kind of prosecution.
2: Correct. And that's why the statute and the law provides for exoneration. And there is a conviction review unit that does happen. They look at cases that are brought to them about whether or not these convictions are solid. Did something go wrong in the process? Was there incorrect identification? Anything along those lines?
1: I guess that that makes me feel good, right? That, That that process is part of just part of standard procedure. That's Obviously, everyone who's in prison is going to say that they didn't do it. Right. I mean, you're a defense attorney. None of your clients ever did it, right, That's Joe? right. That's right. Yeah.
2: yeah, you're going to hear a lot of that. But, you know, that's part of a reviewing unit because yeah. they're going to say, hey, you know, the procedure for looking at photo lineups and in-person lineups of 20 years ago, 30 years ago, perhaps quite different than today. And should True. we have done something differently back then? I think
1: that's also important to bear in mind. certainly some of these issues that we're talking about, whether it's what is the right way to to handle a, a 15 or 16 year old involved in a violent crime or
2: what is the best practice for a photo lineup. Some of that some of those lines have changed. They have completely changed. When you mention best practices, the photo lineup type of system is completely different than when I started back in 1989.
1: Is it because we know today that eyewitness testimony tends to be highly questionable?
2: Yes. One of the things that really showed that was DNA. Because sometimes you get people who say, I saw. Swear up and down what they saw. And then all of a sudden they do the DNA test and it's not the suspect. So, yes, over the years we have found out that personal identification, a person saying I can positively identify this other individual is not foolproof.
1: It's hard because as a juror, it's so kind of convincing. You're like, well, that person sat on the
2: stand and said they saw this guy do it. That's right. And you want to believe people, you, want because, to believe people. you know, especially yeah. people who have been victimized. You might get a victim on the stand who has been robbed, assaulted, mm. perhaps raped. And they're saying, look, this other person did it. But in today's world, with all the other means of identification, I mean, you know, DNA, fingerprint, uh, hair analysis. There's so many ways of identification that usually in today's world, it doesn't just rely on in-person ID. Yeah.
1: Joe Tamburino with us. Big news involving former President Donald Trump, the special counsel going right to the Supreme Court to really address a fascinating question. Jack Smith asked the Supreme Court, look, you know, we have this general principle that the president of the United States should be immune from prosecution while he or she is the president. Sort of obvious reasons, I guess. Right. You think about the national defense uh, implications of that.
2: There are obvious reasons, but the Constitution is silent on it. It is silent. It is. In Article 2 of our Constitution, which governs the presidency, the executive branch, it does not say that a president is immune from lawsuits or criminal charges. However, based on case law, yes, the case law is that a president can't be sued for presidential acts During his official duties, things are really right. That's right. Yeah. If you
1: kill someone outside the office, you're not immune.
2: Right. That's right. Or if you do something before you became president, like in the case of Clinton and Jones, Mm, those actions were before he became president and then he was sued during his presidency. But the unique issue here is while Mr. Trump was president. Can they bring a criminal charge for his actions in the White House? And were those actions part of his presidential duties? And they're going, supposedly, straight to the Supreme Court.
1: And the idea of just skipping the appeals court because clock's ticking on this thing.
2: Clock is ticking. And why not go straight to the Supreme Court when you have such an important issue? This is not some issue about, you know, just someone's rights being violated, which is important. This is about the presidency, a president being prosecuted or former president being prosecuted. So, of course, you would want the Supreme Court to weigh in.
1: The news that came out uh, uh, late yesterday and today was about uh, the former president's White House cell phone, Uh, which, you know, again, you look at all of the technological tools available to kind of stitch together a timeline of action or inaction. Uh, I have to confess, like, there's something that feels a little icky about using the president's White House cell phone as evidence against the president. Such is the world we live in, but it is strange, right? It's a, almost unfathomable five years ago.
2: Yes, you would never thought a president's phone would be searched. However, the prosecutor, Jack Smith, got a search warrant. yeah, And that was by some judge's order that you can search Mr. Trump's phone. So that's what they're doing. And, and you know, if, if anything... And this is
1: on January 6th. They're really looking at what was he doing, what was going on on his phone, where was he that day, right?
2: That's right. And... If any issue could continue the January 6th trial, which is going to go to trial in March of 24, it's probably this issue because the government already has three experts trying to pinpoint where Mr. Trump was in December and January and what the texts were and did he send those texts or someone else. So that means the defense is going to get experts. And if anything could continue a trial, it's going to be a battle of the experts because it's only three months away and they're trying to go through this.
1: Joe Tamburino is our guest. Pretty amazing if evidence on Donald Trump's own cell phone ends up being his undoing. Uh, But that data doesn't lie, right? I mean, when you talk about some of this stuff that can be, you know, you can read it how you politically choose to read it. Cell phone data is what it is.
2: It is what it is. The only defense to it would be that he didn't send specific texts. Mm. And sometimes that is the case when you have someone a politician, a head of an industry, they might not be in full control of their texting. They might let others text for them to send messages. So that could be a defense. For sure.
1: For sure. Yeah. Oh, pretty weak, weak sauce, right? If you're like, oh, I handed my phone off to Larry, who is running my account. Like, oh, who does run your account? Very interesting. Joe Tamburino with us today. I wanted to ask you about the story I read about the residents near the airport in Lake Elmo because part of me empathizes with those folks who bought homes near the Lake Elmo airport not exactly like a monster airport but they do get like some single engine some jet you know private jet truck type stuff but they put in a new runway and these residents are saying like this isn't what we signed up for do you have any legal recourse if if all of the sudden you know i mean it's one thing at MSP where It's a big airport. Like if you live near MSP, it's been there a while. Lake Elmo, for them to really expand that airport in any significant way, you you could see where someone would be
2: like, what is happening? Absolutely. And they do have legal recourse. And we've seen this before. It's called a taking. That's when the government... Takes private property or the enjoyment of private property and uses that for a public good. We've seen this before back in 2011 when there was litigation in Rochester when they expanded their airport. And the plaintiffs won in that case. It's the DeCook case. So, yes, these individuals up in Lake Elmo could say, We bought this property before the expansion. The expansion cause less use of our property, less enjoyment, less value, and we need to be compensated. And
1: even just noise from above, that could be perceived as a government taking?
2: Absolutely. That could be one of the grounds. I mean, remember when we had all the noise abatement in Minneapolis because of the airport? People in South Minneapolis, hundreds of them, got you know new windows, uh, new yeah. air conditioners, new heating furnaces. So all of that, because the noise was to such a level that they had to give the homeowners something to ameliorate the problems.
1: So strange, right? Like it's because if you don't live by the air, you live in downtown, right? There's a lot of noise all the time. It's just part of what you expect. Right. As a logical human, you're like, come on, man, you're living right by the Lake Elmo airport. (laughs) Like how much whining can you do about a new, uh, a new runway? And, it's Lake Elmo Airport. It's not, you know what I mean? I mean, Crystal, right. we got another airport right in the middle of a resident. I live pretty close to the Crystal Airport. Right. But, again, like, that is so landlocked. Like, it's not like they can add a, a new runway and completely shift the noise. It's exactly.
2: Different. And, you know, with something like El- Lake Elmo, if you could land some smaller jets, that could be noisy. And it depends that on would be noisy, how yeah. low they go before they land. I mean, if they're flying pretty low, you're going to hear it.
1: So interesting. It is. So interesting. Uh, Joe, good stuff as always. Thanks nice for coming you. in. Great Thank great you. Thank so you so much. Joe Tamburino, uh, if you need a lawyer, uh, Joe should be your guy. Catch him out at uh, Kaplan and Tamburino is the name of his firm. 350, back in a minute on CCO.